Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Four, three, two, one. I told you before to be careful where you put your legs. I was only trying to be helpful. I can help myself. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! For seven decades, Michael Keane has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed, a one-inch god with a two-inch penis. The star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Will Be King, and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed. But also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. For me, it's a full-time job. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie, from the greatest hits... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! ...to the incredible misses. You've failed to maintain your weapon, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognisable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. Behave yourself. To understand... How he has made the mark of Cain. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in! Hello and welcome. Mark of Cain, our ongoing tour of duty through the undergrowth of the extraordinary film career. Hacking our way through all manner of heavy brush and bamboo, hoping at one point, at some stage, hopefully, to uh, stumble out into the wide open expanse of a good movie. Which has, in fairness, it has happened from time to time. Uh, joining me as always on this uh, this trip is Stephen Black of the Mallow News Twitter family. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm amazing. Thanks for asking. Oh, that's good. You're amazed. Because so, normally, normally, like we, there's no, we, we don't really talk before the podcast, and I get the feeling that this is just transactional for you. Like I feel like a you know a bit of a, like a sex worker who's just here, <laughs> you know, hit record, perform, and then afterwards just clean clean yourself up with uh, with a mop there, and uh, your money's in the nightstand. So you, this is nice. It's nice to know that you're you know you're making eye contact. You're asking me about my day, and sometimes you know, you, you just want to talk rather than doing any kind of hand stuff or whatever. <laughs> Listen, I, I I just came here to talk about a movie. But if you want to talk, <laughs> is there anything you want to share with us? Is this this feels like something. I have to say, the last couple of episodes, I have got the feeling that you you're looking at this now with some kind of therapy. Can I just say, if, right now, if you're looking at this as some kind of therapeutic exercise, go somewhere else for your therapeutic exercise. I think this is more uh, of a cause for therapy <laughs> rather than an actual uh, root of therapy, to be honest with you. Yeah, we, we kind of know where this is going to end up. It's going to end up lining the pockets of a psychotherapist somewhere. Who will then yes. end up going, well, what the hell did you even start doing this for in the first place? Uh, Michael Caine can't hurt you. He's not here. He's not in the room. Yeah, he can hurt us. He doesn't have to be anywhere near us to hurt us. We're kind of speaking of um, sort of, um, I suppose, uh, where where your head's at. Um in terms of Kane right now, we're kind of in a it's kind of domestic Kane bliss era right now, isn't it? He's married and he has fathered again. He's got the big pile in the countryside, the big mansion. It's, you know, it's all kind of very yeah, yeah, calm know, and you nice. Know, in around the Black Willow, he's cut down on the drinking. I think he's just on the fortified wine, uh, <laughs> pottering around the garden. Yeah, uh, he's uh, he's checked up with Czech IRA. <laughs> um, expecting the uh, uh, birth of their first child together. Very exciting times. Lovely times, lovely times. Yeah, Natasha is is, is his daughter who arrives in 1973, and he as 
as you point out, he marries Shaq IRA or Shakira, as the rest of the world knows her, uh, in early '73. So there, he's bought his place. He's he's living in he's living in a place called Mill House in Windsor, um, and it was it was bought by Jimmy Page many years later. Um, but uh, there's some nice some nice pictures of Kane from the era now, kind of getting down and dirty with the carrots in the garden and sort of you know doing the whole. I think I described it as it's a bit like John Lennon's bread making era period. This now, but to be fair, like every, once once Natasha arrives, like every like every uh, new father, he decides very quickly it's time to go back to work. You know, so what am I doing around here? It's time to get back to work. But absolutely, I mean, like the you know Millhouse won't pay for itself. It's to go out there and start making the big bucks, make those blockbusters again. Yeah, chalk it down. And actually, there's even, there are, I came across an interview on YouTube where he, from around, I think it's 73, it must be 73. He's talking about moving in. He's talking about the price of extensions. <laughs> yeah, he says to the interviewer, it's Sue Lawley, a very young Sue Lawley from the BBC, Desert Island Discs and all that later. He says to Sue Lawley, he says, have you ever built an extension? And she's kind of looking at him and he goes, it doesn't matter what size it is. It's just, it's, it's just, it's just, it just kicks over your mind. I'm like, oh man, you're loaded. You're lo- You've bought a mansion and you're building an extension. Like, you're grand. Relax. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like we're all, we're all far pe- uh, peeping behind the curtain of celebrity. But sometimes, you know, the curtain should stay drawn when it's so mundane. Oh, <laughs> tell us about your sex parties with your famous Hollywood stars, by all means. But you know, not about your arguments with the builder over how much fucking insulation you should be putting into the walls in your extension. Exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's this is yeah. This is settled cane. This is uh, this is settled cane era now. The crimpy haircuts trimmed back. He looks very healthy in this movie. It has to be said. He's definitely, as you say, back down to the fortified wine at the very least. Definitely off the sauce in the way he was. Imagine it's 10 years. He's 40 now. In 19, it's 1974, by the way, we are. We're in 1974. He's been a star now for 10 years and he's 40. Imagine 10 years since Zulu, Stephen. Feels like about 20 years doing this bloody thing. But anyway. Yeah, it's like dog years. <laughs> it really is. So he's coming back from what amounts to a sabbatical, really. For a chap who, like, you know, made four movies in one year in the 60s once, he's coming back after it's pretty much a year off. And he's returning with the British spy kidnappy thing. I think he's in cruise mode, really. And, this movie from 1974 called The Black Windmill. Trailer. The ultimate exercise in controlled terror. Should my grip relax on this trigger, it'll detonate enough explosive to rip your guts out. Michael Caine in The Black Windmill. They are going to kill him, aren't they? No! My name is Drabble. Drabble speaking. Drabble speaking. Drabble? You're not the man I spoke to just now. There's more than one Drabble. Who is Drabble? Drabble. 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 I don't give a damn about security. And we want to know if you succeeded in penetrating the sabotage ring yet. I stuck! I can't get over! I can't over! Yeah, so, okay, first of all, I, w- I want to start off with misleading titles. So okay. this movie is called The Black Windmill. I don't know about you, I hear a, f- a title like The Black Windmill, I kind of go on, great. Kane is playing Witchfinder General. 
It's mm. during the, the British Civil War. He's been asked to go to a town that's mysteriously be left untouched by plague or has been ravaged by war or whatever. Mm. He goes and all the locals are a bit odd and they say, don't go near the Black Windmill and finds out eventually, you know, that they're, they're you know, they're sacrificing kids and they're grinding their bones to make their bread or something like that. I think it's, you know, kind of like a hammer horror kind of vibe. Yeah. This would be good. And Lovely. no, this is, this is, no, Black Windmill, this, no, this is just... You say cruise control. Well, actually, I say it's more Neeson control because it's an awful lot like the Liam Neeson movie Taken. In that regard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Go it's on. already a fucking sp- like. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna start. Do you want to go through the plot uh, machinations here before we go uh, okay. into discussing it? All right. Okay. Do your I mean, do your do your painted uh, McFoley uh, yes. synopsis. Let me paint you a picture. It's 1974. This is a black. My Dick Willis, you can do it. Like the black windmill, it's it's literally like <laughs> there's literally a black windmill that appears very late in the movie, and that's the only fucking reference to a black windmill in the whole bloody thing. Anyway, anyway, yeah, plot, 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 plot. So okay, so it's Mick Kane, He's back. It's a Brit. It's a British spy thriller, kind of you know in slightly kind of incompetent kind of spy along the lines of Harry Palmer, kind of. But again, as Stephen says, we get back, we, we get into that properly. The, the plot, essentially, it starts out with two kids playing on an abandoned military base and they get picked up by some RAF personnel for trespassing. But they ain't RAF personnel, you know. They've been kidnapped. So uh, it comes back to uh, Major Tarrant, who's Kane, uh, and he's working as an undercover agent trying to infiltrate a group smuggling arms to Northern Ireland topical from 1974 and he approaches a woman called Celia who's looking he's looking to link in with this organization so that that's fine then he cuts it cuts back to a large country house where all these top spooks are, are meeting and Tarrant is there he takes a call during the meeting from his wife who tells him that she's after getting a call to say her son has been kidnapped he's very calm doesn't kind of overreact right and heads home he takes a call from a guy who calls himself Drabble who wants to speak to Harper who's Tarrant's superior. Uh, he's played by Donald Pleasance. And Drabble wants £500,000 or something like that worth of diamonds. Coincidentally, the precise amount of diamonds recently acquired by Harper. And he Drabble wants uh, Tarrant, or, or Harper actually, sorry, he wants Harper to go to Paris with him. So, you know, it's clearly an inside job. Uh, so Harper assumes that Tarrant, Kane, is the inside man. Uh, and the Drabble gang, meanwhile, are setting Tarrant up to make it look like he has a relationship with this group and that he is indeed the inside man. Harper says he won't be given into the ransom demand. So Tarrant steals the diamonds and splits for Paris, which obviously makes it look even more criminal. In Paris, he meets Celia again, who brings with this building where his son apparently is and it's clearly not there. Drabble makes some reference to him being in a place where he has a view of two windmills. Possibly one of them is black. Uh, there's a bit of a scrap. Uh, uh, Kane's knocked out, Trent Tarrant is knocked out, Drabble gets the diamonds, uh, and then for some reason that's really very difficult to understand, Drabble turns around and kills Celia and leaves uh, an unconscious Tarrant beside the dead body. Uh, Tarrant gets arrested by French police, uh, but then gets freed again. Why? Gets freed by the Drabble gang. Uh, he splits back to England, figures out the Drabble gang were probably trying to get him killed when he was escaping, and figures out that, yeah, two windmills, blah, blah, blah. Where's my young lad? Yeah, I know where to go. So he goes there, calls then some of the senior British spies that we mentioned before to see who'll turn up at the windmills. Uh, and one chap called Sir Edward, the kind of the boss guy of, of the of the spies. And this is very, I feel like it's very basic kind of uh, kind of terminology to be using. But anyway, he's the boss of the spies. He turns up. Spy boss. Spy boss. He's spy boss. He turns up. Uh, therefore, he's the inside guy. 
Uh, Tarrant uses him to get into the windmill, kills everybody, gets the young fella, and heads off home. And I'm sure, that's that's about the long and the short of it, really. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yes. So yeah, let's start at the beginning. Uh, yep, off you go. Opening credits. What the fuck is going on there? It's like uh, <laughs> some sort of. It's like the hills of eyes or something. The hills. It's not even that. It's like fucking kindergarten cop. Uh, these <laughs> colorful uh, children's bricks are being used oh, yes. to spill out all the, the the credits at the beginning. Yeah. These two kids, fucking, you know. Gathering nuts in May, kind of fucking music going on in the background there. Yeah, that's why I'm saying the Hills of Eyes is the music. It's that they're kind yes. of just kind of kind of nursery rhymey crap. And yeah, and you got the kindergarten. We all fall down. We had the plague, and then we got right back up again, or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, so uh, Grant, they 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 trespass onto the RAF base. Then they're picked up by uh, lads posing as RAF uh, officers, and mm. then they're kidnapped. Like so. Or this gang watched the two lads for like a couple of weeks going right now. Every Monday, no, they got swimming in the afternoon, <laughs> chose their badminton, Wednesday trespassing. All right, so, okay. So, I don't know about you lads. Do you, do you, do you want any badminton whites? No, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I've got, I got a few RAF uniforms. Perfect. Yeah. Do you know what we're going to do? Green. You know what we're going to do? Because children are in no way idiots. We're going to put on a massive fucking performance for them where we all dress up as our, we even procure an RAF Jeep. Yeah. We picked them up. No, no. I, as the boss, won't be picking them up. We need a big team to, to, to kidnap two children now. A big team. Six or seven fucking people here now. We need to drive them back. We also need to maintain the facade the whole time that we are actually our, our, um, members of the RF in case the kids start to panic. Yeah. And, but they did catch them out. They were clever kids. How did they catch? How, how did they cop that they weren't RAF guys? Can you remember? Well, footwear, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Snazzy uh, shoes. Yeah. This bullshit. It's bullshit. None of this it's is fucking terrible. necessary. Everybody agree. Really just go up behind one of the kids and just cash him over the back of the fucking head. Fish, bash, bash, your job. And, and by the way, and out. by the way, in case people think oh, that would be very, very rough for a film when they hitting the child over the back of the head. Uh, they still do they, that. They, they, they do. They still cash them even when they've kidnapped them and they dose one of them with LSD. So like, yeah, it's and not they like stack, a reverse. And they, stack them both, they literally pick them up and stack them like fucking furniture in the back of the van. It's the most it's elaborate, bad. it's the most elaborately pointless kidnapping ever and it that continues on through all the stuff the, like the Drabble gang could have done I would say about 40% of what they did during this movie and gotten away with it yeah the whole framing them up by having the dirty picture uh, taking the dirty picture in your man, in Taryn's flat as well there was, there yeah, was no need yeah. for yeah no need for that no need. Uh, just completely superfluous the, uh, they are not good with resource no wonder they need so many diamonds you know because clearly they're not good with money they're not good with their spend no they need to they, they need somebody in basically to, to I think to review the ingoings and outgoings from a, from a spend perspective and kind of rein that in and maybe operate their gang more efficiently. Maybe right. they have to let a few people go. Sorry, Barry, you didn't have the badminton whites when we wanted you. You only had RAF uniforms. We expect a bit more flexibility from our from our, our criminal criminal associates. I think this is a very good example, and particularly for the Drabble gang. I think this is a very good example as to why criminal gangs need some form of audit and risk committee set up to oversee things. I mean, it's not to take over. It's just to oversee things, streamline things, and avoid the kind of silliness that unfolds in this movie. Yeah, we're not we're not here to stop you from doing your job. No. We're here to make you better at doing your exactly. job. Exactly, exactly. Because as it stands, the Drabble Gang are pretty pretty bad kidnappers. Only saved really by the kind of general incompetence of um, Major Tarrant Kane as a spy, echoing back, of course, to Harry Palmer. 
I'm not sure it's established how good a spy he is. Yeah. Really, to be honest with you. I, it, it seems to be he sees more of a kind of a, you know, a career military man rather than some, somebody who's well versed in spycraft. I think Despite th- the fact... That, go on, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think the big thing, I think the big thing they're trying to get across and like looking at the reviews completely went over people's heads and I'm kind of not sure why it went over people's heads, but they're trying to get it across that he's a career, yeah, military kind of spy guy in that way of Palmer um, just doing it and... He's so completely devoid of emotion when his kid is kidnapped. The reason he's devoid of emotion is because the job has drained him of any emotion. And this is also why his marriage fell apart. They focused so hard on getting that point across that they've forgotten completely to um, sort of get the idea across that he's a spy. Like, what do you? Yeah, what do spies do? You know. Yeah, so the, the focus is less on him as a spy and more of him as as a, an emotionally dead uh, father and husband. Yeah, that's it. And. Uh, that's it, and I mean that's it, fine to that. But there's no, I mean, there is no kind of steady devolution of his character, of his, or kind of a disintegration of his facade as he becomes more and more uh, under pressure to try and resolve things. The, the only expression of emotion is when he's uh, battering your man over the head with an iron bar towards the the end of the movie. That's the yes. only time where he, or the part where he manically winks. Uh, oh my god, the wink! We'll have to. I mean, I know that some time ago you put that up as a as a little gif or whatever online, we're going to have to put that up again. That wink. What, what? I mean, how do you describe it? He's kind of, he, he winks, but while he's winking, his open eye, he kind of looks at his I nose. have a theory. I have a theory. I have a theory. I think it's, his eye muscles have atrophied so much from his uh, <laughs> acting technique, which is not to blink, is that he's yeah. unable to close the property. So he's has to employ a kind of a counterweight. Right. Uh, System so that as he closes one eye, the other eye has to open in order for open really wide in order to, to in order for the wink to function. Mm. But what he mm. it does uh, have the effect of making him look like a complete and utter fucking lunatic. <laughs> and, as also, and it's also the smile as well, completely out of character for Tarot. He gives this big goofy fucking smile and then a big wink. Yeah, it's bizarro. It's bizarro. Honestly, honestly, if you're li- like go and find it, we will put this up on that mark of Ken too at McFoley76, at Mallow News. You've got to see this wink. It really looks like a guy who needs to go and see a specialist. It's really, really weird. You mentioned the zero blinking thing. It's, I don't think this is something we've ever mentioned before. At school, his nickname was Snake Eyes because he never blinked. Uh, he saw it in a movie and he thought, okay, that, that'll make me look tough. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go call bullshit in that anyway. Uh, All right, you can. I, I it's a gay anecdote, like you know, you can it you is can a take it whatever way you want. No, whenever I hear anybody say they had a really cool name at school, you know that's a hundred percent the name that they gave themselves, and nobody else would adopt it. What was your What was your well, nickname? Uh, Southern Dandy, uh, I think was it the Southern Dandy? No, no uh, handsome cool, but handsome cool guy. Just uh, I just yeah. want to be referred to as handsome cool guy. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember that stenciled across your denim jacket. All right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like so yeah. Sorry, we're 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 wandering around here. His performance, I suppose, is what we're on here. Can I can I mention? We I've mentioned cruising, Ken. Can I mention sports, Ken? Very briefly. Of course, sports, Ken. As as you know, like, I mean, he's not a man. It's been well proven at this stage. Sports is not his thing which is kind of weird when, you know, we all know about Escape to Victory in a bunch of years' time. But Sports Kane is not a good Kane. However, credit where credit's due, he gives a tremendous athletic performance in this show. He, there is a chase scene uh, through the London Underground where he looks very much like a chap who can run for the first time in a movie. And I'm putting that down to quitting the fags, Shakira's sort of with the booze, and a year of growing vegetables and hanging out at home. He's the man. The man is in good shape. 
Yes, he's come on leaps and bounds for the guy who looked like he was about to have a, a cardiac arrest after running five steps in the beach and get Carter, you know? Oh my God, three years has made, he's, he's on, he, I don't think he's on a program, but inadvertently he got on a program and now he looks the business. Another the, only feel, I, the only fellow I feel sorry for is the guy, uh, the guy they used to employ uh, to hold the oxygen tank just off camera. Yeah, he's going to go and find another job now. He got a job in the home office. Um, what you call it? Accents again. And the thing is, that these he puts on, I would say maybe three accents. And yeah, the, this thing, is the, stage, the this, thing is, this, this is the spycraft. This is the spycraft. This spycraft, yes, spycraft. yes. Putting on fucking accents. Yeah, putting on accents that that rational human beings would not fall for. Okay, there's an. Okay, I think we need to start with Donald Pleasant's performance in this, uh, yes. and I'm going to blame Donald Don Siegel for this. Okay, and right. can you, let's, just, let's just go back there a second, okay? Because we are jumping here like grasshoppers around the place. So Donald yeah. Pleasant's obviously I mentioned Donald Pleasant's in the plot. He's Kane's superior in the show. Don Siegel, by the way, is a director. People may know the name. He, This guy directed Dirty Harry's, not two movies. I think Dirty Harry was two movies before this movie. So this is this is to be a match made in heaven. But anyway, sorry, carry on. You can start with Donald Pleasance and let's let's talk accents. Yeah, so Donald Pleasance puts in this bizarre performance as an OCD, buttoned-down, repressed... Um, member of the British elite that for some reason, whenever he's talking has to stroke and tug at his mustache. Now I fucking guarantee you at no place in the script. Does it say as part of the description going, uh, always tugs at his mustaches. I guarantee Donald Pleasant, Don, dear boy, do you know what my, I think my character would do? I think whenever under moments of extreme stress or just about what, or what he's about to talk or whenever he does anything, he will tug at his mustache. Yes. And Don Siegel should have gone. That's a great idea, Donald. But, you know, we might do a take of that. We might also do a take where you don't do that because you look like a fucking maniac. <laughs> it's the most affected. I am putting in a method performance. I have immersed myself entirely in this character. I you will see Hopper. Donald Pleasance, the man, the actor disappear. You will see the man, Harper, emerge. <laughs> yeah, which essentially amounts to mustache talking and also the cleaning of phlegm from his lips constantly. Yeah, it's just a fucking dreadful performance, it's to be honest with you. Terrible. But the accent. Yeah. So, okay. The, so, Kane is uh, forced. Well, not. No, he's not forced at any stage to do this. No, he's not forced. This is my point. In the other movies, yeah. we've seen terrible accents from him. It's been part yeah. of his character. Deep South accent, yeah. Hurry Sundown, the German accent in The Last Valley, all the rest of them. Yeah. He's had to do them. The Scottish accent where he had to apologize to the entire nation and kidnap. This stuff is stuff like that some idiot has written into the script or worse again, possibly Kane has gone, you know what I think might work, work here if, if I, I do some in person, like, you know, pretend to be somebody else. And Don Siegel has gone, yeah, you, you've you done 10 years of rep. Well, it's not even that. Like, so this is your, this is where we're focusing on in terms of his spycraft. He's somebody who can, he's such a chameleon, such a chameleon. He makes no effort to disguise what he looks like when he's trying to get back into England from fucking France. <laughs> does not change his clothes. Do not no. change his appearance. But he's just asking, no, what is he? Such a, he's a, That's it. No, I, I'm an, uh, I'm an audio spy only. <laughs> I'm ring up to be. You want me to ring somebody up and pretend to be the pre, uh, the Russian premier? I can do it. Do you want me to dress like you know, put on a fake mustache or you know, like wear different mm. clothes? No, sorry, a bridge too far for me. Yep. So Ooh, yeah, he, he has nice. to pretend. He, I know, yeah. Uh, he has to pretend to be. He has to pretend to be uh, Harper on a phone call in order to what was this? Is it? 
why does he pretend to why can't he even remember why does he, he have it to is something to, to do with because Harper wouldn't release the diamonds I think it's really oh, he, ring, he, rings, he, rings, he rings the office uh, the, the office where the, the, the diamonds are stored the, the security deposit box mm-hmm. and pretends to be Harper saying you know I want to make a booking to go in to do it but makes no effort to sound in any way like Donald Pleasant's character he puts a hanky over the receiver and then kind of affects a kind of a, a, a feet accent of sorts. I'm convinced it was dubbed. I'm convinced it doesn't look right to me. I, I think I think he tried it and Don Siegel went, yeah, that's fine. And then off camera kind of went, just get someone to do that. Yeah, it's it sounds it sounds awful. And in no stations, the person, are you are you OK, sir? You, you sound like you're coming down with a cold or, you know, the usual kind of. Are you well? Go, you know what? It's, it's usually a hat tip to the audience from the 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 the, the director's perspective of going, yeah, we know this is a bit fucking dodgy, but just roll with it. Yeah, he puts on a German accent then later, and then which is awful. And the, oh, the German and, accent, the German accent, yeah, again showing how brilliantly competent everybody involved in this uh, uh, in this movie is. So he's he's trying to get in contact with his wife to give her a coded message to go meet, meet him in oh, London yes. after he's escaped yes. Paris, that's, right? That's yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, obviously he knows that the, the phone has been tapped and, and so tapped, in fact, that there's actually a, there's a police sergeant in the house recording the phone calls and listening in, okay? Mm-hmm. So he rings up, puts on a German accent, uh, asks for another number and gives the coded message. Like, your man, no, is, there's a guy out there who's responsible. You know, is, is he reporting to somebody going... Uh, Bill, did you get any strange? Fo- no, no, just a, a totally random, uh, wrong number from a guy who would appear to be a Welsh German accent, <laughs> um, making a lot of what could only be described as heavily coded references. <laughs> yeah. Right? I would just start. Uh, what happened afterwards? Oh, his wife left the house immediately. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Nothing to see here. Rang- Bill, Bill. Uh- I think you need to come into the office and we need to have a good talk about your work ethic, to be honest with you. Again, again, another reason for some form of review committee now connected to MI5. I think again. Uh, I think Bill I think Bill is being transferred to traffic, to be honest with you. Yeah. We're here to make you better. Yeah. So and then we get an American accent later on. I mean, he really I mean it's 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 extraordinary for a guy who can't do accents. He tries three of them in one film. He does, yeah. I oh. got <sighs> It's just terrible. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's hugely entertaining for wa- watching it happen because you know he's not going to be able to pull it off. But it's, you know, kind of, why are you doing this? Do you want to jump back there to uh, the wife? Seeing as we mentioned uh, the coded message there and his relationship with the wife. So, yeah, they were, they're, they're separated when the movie starts. Um, and we're, you know, we find out through, the, um, through you know, her telling him <laughs> that the reason they're separated. <laughs> yeah, yes. She tells you know, him you specifically. To, you, you don't need you don't need to intuit anything, or there's no kind of glances or anything like that that might you know kind of uh, refer to deeply repressed uh, memory, emotion, or feeling or any of that. No, no. She just comes out and says, "No, the reason that we are separated is because you are emotionally closed off. Yeah, and you and you prioritize your job over me and our son. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the 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 wife the wife gets a really rum deal. The poor actress playing her is just like, okay, so you're to be. <laughs> extremely distressed when your son is kidnapped, right? Uh, you will spend one scene in a hospital um, being sedated because that's what happens to women uh, when yep. they're under stress. That is, is our knowledge of women. Yes. Uh, then you will make a remarkable recovery and a couple of hours later be out of hospital in your son's bedroom playing with these toy blocks. Yeah. Uh, and then you will make it another great recovery and uh, be off for a hilarious birth journey with your with your husband. <laughs> uh 
the bus <laughs> journey is, is brilliant. Recalling the time you spent at the cinema. Oh my God, the bus journey is brilliant. So at this point in the film, he's gotten back from Paris. He's smuggled himself into the country and he's he's made the coded phone call. How the fuck did he? No, I just would go. How the fuck did he get back? Right, he's just been in a in a in a car a car accident. Yes, uh, he's managed to stumble away from a, a, a attempt to kill him. Yeah, uh, having a you know again been in prison, so they would have taken his wallet off him. They would have mm-hmm. taken his passport off him. Mm-hmm. Where the fuck does he get the money? And how does he get onto the hovercraft without a passport and without any fucking money? Yeah, he gets he gets the hovercraft back from France, by the way. Um, and and frankly, again, it doesn't matter. He's there. I mean, you know, it's not like we're setting this up to be some magnificent film. I mean, you know, just cut a little bit of slack. He's back in he's 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 back in England. Let's get ah, to the that boss. Shit, that shit annoys me. There's no attempt to kind of see him rob somebody's fucking wallet. Or I something. know it would have been great. It would have been great. Just show that he's you know this is how good a spy is. He he has contacts in Paris that are able to set him up with a fake passport and it gets it done in a couple of hours. And that you know. This well, is this this isn't a movie that's running into two hours. It's like one one hour thirty odd minutes. They could have afforded mm-hmm. to include a couple of scenes that show him to be you know somebody who's competent at being a spy. Yeah, the one thing he does, in fairness, as a spy, uh, he does actually kill people. We'll get onto that in a second. Um, the the bus journey though, right? So so he's come back from Paris and he's arranged to meet the wife on this bus, a bus, and uh, they're sitting there and. It's kind of like you've got to the point. I think there's probably maybe about a half an hour left in the film at this point. And it's got to the stage. No, there's only, there is only 10 minutes left. Is there only 10 minutes left in it? Yeah. Get out of town. Okay. So 10 minutes left in the film. And they decide to do a kind of, well, here's the story so far. And here's where we are. And here's what's going to happen next. So they talk about the entire plot. Um, they discuss uh, the son. Uh, by the way, this, at this point now, having been, as, as Stephen said, having been sedated, not 15 minutes before, she, uh, the wife has now turned into kind of Robin to his Batman. And she's she's sitting there going, okay, okay, what do we need to do? Okay, we need to do this, 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 and this. And then he's working it out in his head. Hmm, yeah, two windmills. Is this something about two windmills? And she's, there must be somewhere with two windmills close to each other. Yes, that's it. That's it. I'm after the National Trust. So she gets off the bus. It's like treasure hunt. It's like the old Annika Rice treasure hunt. She's off the bus, off to the National Trust. She's looking through books and everything. Next thing, she finds the two windmills. One of them is black. And it's all happening now. It's pure exposition fairy stuff. It's like, what the hell just happened? I didn't need to watch the re- the previous hour and 10 minutes of this. I could have just watched. I could have started watching the movie from here. So basically, your man travel, this, uh, the, ma- the criminal mastermind, decides, you know, because he, he's comfortable in the knowledge that Tarrant is going to be arrested. He's going to frame Tarrant. Tarrant's going to be arrested. Then he's going to try to have him killed escaping. That he could tell him, yeah, you're, he, could be, he won't tell him exactly where his son is, but he would be cryptic enough to say, yeah. oh, where your son is, he can see two windmills. Isn't that what he says? That's exactly it. Why can would I you just, even, why would I, even come up a conversation? I, like? Right, can I just say, he can see two windmills, right? Mm-hmm. How many windmills are in the movie? Two. Where did they find the son? In a windmill. How many windmills are there, saw? <laughs> two. If you're in a windmill and you're looking out, you can see two windmills. <laughs> How many windmills are there? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Very, very good. <laughs> I got you. I got you. See, this is as much attention as I would spend to the movie. So your one is That's one fantastic. Fucking, fucking Annika rises off at the fucking National Trust going, ah, we've deduced exactly where it is. But you fucking haven't. What actually has happened in real life, your son is dead. Uh, <laughs> you've had a lovely day trip out to fucking Brighton oh god that's fantastic yeah he can't see two windmills oh Jesus Christ 
What is maybe maybe they give him so much LSD that he's just fucking hallucinating it, or he's got a concussion, or I'm trying to get oh, him in jail. I don't know. One. I don't know. No, I don't even bother. Look, so look, yeah, it's cruise, it's cruise control, Kane, in this one. Any other stuff in the movie? Um, I the music, Roy Budd, get Carter. I thought it was some funky tabla at work, but it's a pretty awful. It's kind of got a touch of Dirty Harry about it, I think, as well. The, the, yeah, I mean, sub, this is, sub, sub Dirty Harry. Sub Dirty Harry. That's the most disappointing thing here. Don Siegel is a great action director. He's good at fucking propulsive fucking action. And this movie just is sputters. You know, you stop, yeah. start, stop, start. There's no sense of momentum about it at all. Yeah. Uh, Kane put it down to the big thing, the big issue with this movie was... Uh, despite the fact this is another one of those ones that he doesn't really remember that much about mm-hmm. uh, saying that it was they, they took on too much of an English sensibility for an American action movie uh, what? what does that even mean? I don't know what that means I think it's focusing on the emotional repressed nature of the protagonist uh, whereas in an in American movie he would have been far more you know expressive which I think is bullshit when you think about Dirty Harry all he is is fucking repressed rage like so exactly but Don Siegel, like, this is just, I know he, yeah, he great aspirations, uh, you know, in terms of uh, Drabble, how many Drabbles that there are, you know, who, what, mm. you know, what is the story with this, with this gang, blah, blah, blah. But none of that translates to the screen. And frankly, nobody fucking cares. Nah. John, For- John Vernon, God love him, does the best he can with the role. John, John Vernon, John who Vernon, played, John Vernon, who played the angry mayor, wasn't it, in Dirty Harry? And, and the crusty old Dean from uh, Animal House. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but Vernon, Vernon, as the you know, Vernon basically his face is his passport. Like he's just like he just yeah. looks like a prick. He looks yeah. like a bad man. Uh, so you know, like his face is and his voice do the heavy lifting here. But he does not have an awful lot to do uh, in terms of being an evil genius or an evil mastermind. There's not an awful lot there. No, uh, it's not. He There's does like, get shot in the dick though, which is kind of funny. Oh yeah, shot in the cock and balls um, up through uh, up through some floorboards at the very very end. Um, yeah, it's a hell of a way to go. Tell a way to go and uh, is actually an echo of another Dirty Harry movie later on. It's Sudden Impact, uh, yeah. where, where, where the, the series was going shooting, shooting men and men in the groin. Um, Clint Eastwood is a cockshooter. Cockshooter, you're after sending 25 guys to the mug with, <laughs> with bullets in their dicks. What do you got to say for yourself? Uh, Chief. Oh, it's man. Just like shooting guys in the cock. It's Got a pretty good view of those shot off cocks from your fucking fifth floor, ain't you? <laughs> cockshooter, you're a disgrace. You're fired. You can't fire cockshooter. I resign. <laughs> it's a Tarantino thing, I think, as well. Shooting guys in the cock and balls. You, you, I think Pulp Fiction comes to mind. Django. Someone gets shot in the groin in Django. It's very Robocop. Robocop, the classic. Yeah, the rapist right through the, 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 the woman's skirt. Classic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So look, it's a thing. I'm not sure what he was going for here. There was actually really genuinely no need to shoot this to shoot John Vernon through the, in in the groin. But there we are. That's where we are. They had one. I know bits in this movie. You think there's one that the gadget, the exploding, had a exploding. Oh God! Case. The fucking the bizarre scene. Uh, I don't know what they were aiming for. There's spycraft for you know. There's spycraft for you. An exploding briefcase. They gave Donald Pleasance his kind of you are Q in Bond scene where he's wandering through you know the the shop floor while lads are testing out various gadgets and they set up this briefcase that will uh, a briefcase gun essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you notice again, this is another uh, an example of their fantastic attention to detail. Your, your, the boffin explains Donald Pleasance how it works. Mm-hmm. Donald Pleasance then operates it in reverse and doesn't <laughs> fire it. I didn't cop that. Yeah. That's, yeah. There was, Fantastic. I paid far too much attention to this. You really did. You, and I'll tell you how much attention you paid. You, you spotted something that I completely passed me by as well. And it's this self-referential crap 
that suddenly appears in this movie, this Kane, a Kane movie. So clearly it's kind of like, well, Kane is so famous and his lifestyle is so famous. We can now start making references to Michael Kane here. Yeah. Um, so like the first thing that happens is when they're talking about the IRA and this, this, ar- this armed smuggling group, there's a reference to the contact being, his name is Sean Kelly, but there's a reference to him being Sean Connery. And there's an immediate flash to Kane's character, like just a shot of Kane. I'm going off for fuck's sake, lads. And then you spotted, is it he's in the bus or somewhere? Anyway, he's dry, they're well, going he, along. He, the coded message that he sends to his old doll is basically essentially, oh, we will meet up at the Dominion Theatre. Yes. Uh, it's a cinema. And she crosses, she gets gets to the car, makes her way over to the Dominion Theatre. There, blazing over the, the theatre is Battle of Britain. Yeah. Which, by the way, Battle of Britain, would, would by that stage, would have been out about five years. Yeah. I, um, I know how the British like to really hold on to things. Yeah. So you know it's probably not outside the realms of possibilities. It's possible, I suppose. But oh god, you're just sitting there. No, don't. Is this now what is this going to be a thing now? Self-referential cane bits and meta movies? shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we can do it no. I don't think there's much else to be said really about this, is there? Like the reviews are mundane enough. I've got a New York Times one here in front of me. So it's like again, you know, it's the it's the era. It, it says in the age of Watergate, we need nimbler or more fantastic material to engage us to grab our attention from wondering what might be on the news tonight. Um, it was produced by Richard Zanuck and David Brown, who had done The Sting with Robert Redford and Paul Newman, and their next job was going to be Jaws. Like, they assumed they put Don Siegel and Mick Kane together, that will equal cash, even if it's a British audience that leaked money. It was a complete... Had they not, seen, have they, have they not looked at his previous film? I oh, sure. I, clearly, nobody does. Nobody does. The, it seems to me that Kane is getting by Sleuth, at this point, Sleuth, Get Carter... Italian job, Alfie. And everything else is just pushed to the background in people's minds. Even guys who are giving him jobs. And that and the fact that I'd say he's just a thoroughly nice chap. And they go, ah, oh, this guy will be great to work with. You know, it's just going to be great fun. And we can do it. And it's going to make a big pot of cash. Siegel plus Kane. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Ebert, Roger Ebert, reckoned it committed the one crime that no thriller can be pardoned for. It's not thrilling, which I think is a pretty reasonable Pretty reasonable. Yeah, thing. there's no sense of par- there's no sense of peril about Not it. In, 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 they don't establish it. Like I said, go back to what I said. They don't establish the character. They don't. They don't get you to sympathise with anyone in anyone in it. Everybody's uh, pretty yeah. much awful. You know? It is. Yeah, it's a movie that I I don't think it's it was ever re released, whether Blu-ray or DVD or any of those things back to years. I, it it wait. It just one of these seventies movies. Why can't they just disappeared without a trace? Yeah, just, in no way. This is in no way is this a lost classic or anything like this. Is nothing no. that you'd kind of stumble across at two o'clock in the morning or anything that you go, whoa, you know, this is you know, this is pretty good. It's not good. It's not terrible. It's but not, it's it's not it's not good. It's and not, yeah. It, it's not a thriller. It's not a thriller. Like the fucking kid gets no, like the, you should be you should be invested at least in the kid getting out of there alive and, and nothing happened to him. But quite honest with you, I you know I wouldn't have been overly upset if anything happened to him in real life. Obviously that would be terrible. But you know the fictional son here kind of gone. Eh. Yeah, meh, whatever. Yeah. You know, um, it's just a bit bland. And a bit meh. And again, we're back in that space of, yeah, he's made a really, uh, well, I thought Sleuth was really, I know you didn't like it as much as I did. I thought Sleuth was really enjoyable. And now we're back into this kind of Sunday afternoon um, sort of beigeness. And he's, you know, it's kind of like he's 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 high on domestic life. He's taking this gig because it's Don Siegel, I presume. And it's going to be a nice thriller. But, you know, again, even in tone and texture and everything else, even though it's a dirt, it's Dirty Harry's director, and there are elements of kind of Dirty Harry camera work and stuff in it 
it bears no kind of resemblance to the feel of what would have been considered the best movies of the time, doesn't it? Not it doesn't. It's, it's not edgy in in the way of what was going on, you know, with I suppose Coppola and all these guys in in an entirely parallel universe that seemed to be going on away from Kane. No, it's still very much of. Uh, the style of movies at least five years before you know there's, there's yeah. no progression here at all although it's boobies I suppose that's probably the only kind of hat tip towards modernity yeah movies. yeah yes there is there is some there is some and uh, but it's, they, move, they move along pretty pretty quickly uh, no more than we will know um, Mark Soda Kane we're not Mark and the movie Mark and the man's uh, performance and you can I can, you can sense by the tone of our voices it's a bit like uh, the only the only bit, part of this movie where you finally go yes he's putting in a bit of welly is towards the end where he you know where he finally loses the rag and you see a bit of yeah. emotion in his character to kind of think yeah more of that would have been good we've more seen control rage we've seen like there are like he's it's kind of like he's reaching for what he did in Carter that kind of simmering rage throughout it that just explodes really well from time to time. It just doesn't really explode. But yeah, you're right. There is there is some bits. Of, there is a bit at the end where he, you can see that you you can see that he's there's something there. Like yeah, and again, it's all taken. That then is kind of undone by the frankly goofy shootout towards the end, toward the windmill with him hiding, uh, using a bag of flour as body armor at one particular That's stage. Right. Yeah. Then essentially cowering um, for a good minute on screen with his hand over his head until uh, drops of blood land in his hand and he could tell the travels above him. Like, I mean, there's no... I, yeah. Just, yeah, what the hell were you doing, Don Siegel? Yeah, absolutely. Very strange. Very, very strange. And it was a shock to all concerned that this union didn't result in at least a profitable movie. Um, what are you giving them? What are you, what are you giving them a came for this? Oh, I said five. Yeah, I can't give more than five, six. I mean, it's it's cruising, Kane. It's not that he's bad in it or anything. It's just like, it's just meh. The whole thing is a big whole pile of meh. Mm-hmm. I think that's what can all be said. And the next up, the next movie up, actually, and again, I have this dragging feeling about it. It's called The Marseille Contract, continuing this run of movies that begin with the word the. Are you in Marseille for business or pleasure, Mr. Thomas? Well, both, really. Um. Do you want, well... All I would say, two things that I know about it, it's been referred to as a knockoff of The French Connection. Okay. And it's also, it's also the first movie that Kane uh, honestly admits to taking up simply because it suited his family uh, requirements. Yes. Okay. And yeah, yeah, and we can see, like this is it now. Domestic Kane is taking over. And we can see it a little bit in this movie, and we'll see it in the very choice of the Marseille contract. Tony Quinn comes back again. Last scene, know. last I know, last scene in Vegas. Simon so Vegas, he's back, baby. Uh, James Mason is in there. I know nothing about this film, to be honest. I think, it, I think again, and what worries me about it as well, I have an idea. It might have two names. Remember, yeah. Z and Co had two names. They couldn't really even figure out what the hell to call it. If they can't figure out what yeah. the hell to call this, it seems to be another Kane movie that was made and then crushed into a can almost immediately. But we'll find out. Adam, look, I will do my due diligence in finding out some way of put of uh, shoehorning a, a, a terrible footballing joke into uh, the title of the movie, The Marseille Contract, referring you do that. in some way to a famous footballer trying to sign for Marseille. You do that. You do that. And yeah. we'll all be very excited. Did Zidane play for Marseille? Uh, I'm not giving you any clues. No, you go off now and do your homework. I'm not cutting the corners for you. I uh, know. That right? was my homework. That no, was no. my homework. No, no. Uh, off you go sport, now. You are my sport. You are my sports Google. Yeah, sports Google. My Spoogle. Spoogle. I'm Spoogle. Uh, okay, listen, we'll probably leave it at that, will we? 
I think so. Yeah, we've spoken it off of Black Windmill. Oh my God, far more than anybody has ever spoken about it since 1974. So listen, thanks for listening. Um, go and have a listen. Or go have a go have a listen. Go have a look at the Marseille contract. And you know what? Even if you don't see the Mar- Marseille contract, don't worry about it. Just come back. We'll fill in all the dots. We'll join the dots and fill in the blanks. Uh, and um, yeah, we'll see you the next time. Yeah, and as usual, uh, for all the updates on Marco Kane, follow us at, at Marco Kane Two on the Twitter. Like and subscribe. Uh, that's how we we will shoot our way up the charts and make uh, millions and millions of euros, as is my understanding from how this podcasting system works. That's exactly where what I read on a website once, one time, yes. some time ago. Yes, that's it from us. We'll talk to you soon. Take it easy. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. Um, maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry, and no one wants to see that. The Marco Kane podcast is written, researched, and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley, and edited by Andrew Foley. Music is composed by Stephen Black. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2. And if you enjoyed this episode, you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts. The Marco Kane is a Mallow News 2 Cubes production. What see you next time. Come on.